Now, children 10 and under, you are dismissed to Children's Church at this time. I want to go ahead and make mention that I am praying about the direction of our church. And as I have been praying, as Kyle and I have been praying, as me and other pastors that I know have been praying, I wanted to bring a message this morning, and it's tied to, oh, I don't know, the last three Sunday night and Wednesday nights that we have done. Uh, I'm just going to go back and give you a refresher if you don't watch the Facebook videos. A um, couple weeks ago, I preached a message on Sunday night, and I titled it, Set Your Affections on things above and we were in Colossians 3 and we will be going back to Colossians 3 today but we are going to also be in Ephesians but we live in a day of Christianity that is solely about what I'm getting okay what am I getting out of worship what am I getting out of uh, uh, of my fellowship what, what's in it for me okay now, that's fine and dandy, but it doesn't jive with the rest of Scripture where Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to renounce all that you have and come and follow me. He says, you can't love the world and love me. You can't, uh, you can't love mammon and love me. Amen. You have to decide, choose you this day whom you will serve. Okay. And even as Christians, because we have this flesh, this dirt suit that we're living in, this dirt suit still wants things that don't, that are contrary to what the gospel teaches. It still wants things that are contrary to what is good for Christians. And as a consequence, much like this morning, and I don't, I'm not going to call anybody out, okay? But much like this morning, there was many people that were in their flesh that desired to stay warm and stay at home and stay in bed. That's all fine and dandy, but where your heart is, there's where your treasure will be. Amen? And we set our affections on things above because then it starts to affect my life and what I view as important. It starts to mold my understanding. Paul says it this way, put on the mind of Christ. Well, how do I do that? How does that work out in my life? Well, it's never going to work out in your life if you're not following the means by which God has chosen to renew people's minds. How about this? Sanctify them by the water of the washing of the word. How about that verse? We know that verse, right? That's how Jesus sanctifies the church. That's how he makes the church, conforms the church into his image by the water of the washing of the word. Jesus, when he was praying for us in the garden of Gethsemane in John 17, prayed, Father, sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. But if you ask the most basic biblical questions of most modern Christians, they don't know the Bible. They don't read the Bible. The Bible is not an important book to them. It doesn't shape their way of thinking. It doesn't shape their way of life. Amen. 
But almost every single church that we go to, every church that I know of, the Bible is looked at as the word of God, inerrant, amen, all-sufficient word of God. And if it is, they say these things, and they sound, they, they sound very similar, but God's word is our rule for faith and practice of our life, okay? And if God's word is truly the the uh, rule for faith and practice in your life. So when your life doesn't line up with the word of God, it's more than likely because you have not submitted to the word of God in that area of your life. This is sanctification. This is the walk that we have to walk out. But beloved, we have a whole generation of people who think that this walk of sanctification is absolutely irrelevant. That it doesn't, that it's not necessary, that it's, that it's, I, I dare to say that they go, oh, God doesn't want to do that. I would have them go read 1 Thessalonians where he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Amen. God's will is that you be sanctified. God's will is that you be conformed into the image of his dear son. And I would go as far as to say, if there's not a desire in your heart, to be sanctified or at least try or at least put your hand to the plow and go to work. Then there's a deeper spiritual issue than whether you just want to be sanctified. I would have to ask you, do you really, have you really submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Have you really been born again? Have you really understood the gospel? People get hung up and I had a man tell me this one time. He said, well, Jesus said, all I have to do is believe. And I weighed that. Look, to get saved, that's all you have to do is believe, right? But his statement was so matter of fact, what he meant was, that's all I have to do. All I have to do is believe. There's nothing else required of me. Well, what do you do with all the other statements that Jesus ever made, such as Luke, what, 11, where he says, if any man would come after me and doesn't deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. And he ends that whole, and then he, then he talks about what man starts to build a house and doesn't, uh, build a tower and doesn't first count the cost. Whether he has enough to build or less happily when he builds the foundation, he doesn't have enough money to finish. And then all who walk by, they mock him and say, look, this man began to build, but he could not finish. Then he told another parable directly after that. What king going to war to make war with another king doesn't first sit down and, and weigh whether he can go against one who comes at him with 20,000 when he only has 10? And if, if he can't, then he makes a condition. He sends out a rider or an envoy to go declare terms of peace. And he says, so is this. Anyone who does not renounce all that they have, does not deny themselves, come and follow me. They cannot be my disciple. You see, sanctification is a work that is absolutely necessary in the church. And it's this work that we have uh, thrown to the wayside. The Holy Spirit is the active agent in sanctification, yet we don't want it. This is a problem. This is a big problem. 
And then a few days later, after I preached Set Your Affections on Things Above, I preached a, a, another message called Affectionate Running. And we talked about how we were to run this race. How Paul says, I, those who run a race, do you not know that they all run so that they can win the race? They don't, nobody gets out there to run a race without practice, without training. Amen? Nobody. Yet we get Christians that get born again and then think they can go out and live this Christian life without actually having all the other things that would actually help a Christian grow in their walk with Christ. They don't pray. They don't read their Bible. They don't come to church. They don't uh, witness to other people about Christ. They, they definitely don't sing praises to God or listen to music or change what their minds are focused on. But I still get these questions. Well, pastor, how am I going to grow? Pray for me. What I really hear is I want God to wave a magic wand and just skip past all the hard stuff so that I don't have to do it. But that's not how we get there. Amen. Paul didn't get to go around the shipwreck. Matter of fact, the angel showed up on the boat and said, guess what, Paul? Take, he said, I love how the angel starts out. He said, be of good cheer. Everyone's going to make it, but I'm going to wreck this boat. It's going to get shipwrecked. And I know a lot of people's faith is being tested right then. They're like, what? God's wrecking the boat. Yep, and he wants to wreck your boat if you'll let him. We need to run this race with the attitude to win. Amen? So as I thought and prayed and sought God about the vision for this church for the coming year, 2022, I want to pray about having a mature mindset. A mindset that says, I want to grow. A mindset that says, I am seeking after Christ. I am. Let people go, well, how? man, I really wish I could have a prayer life like that where I wake up every morning. Well, what's stopping you? Just do it. God doesn't wave magic wands for this, okay? You apply the faith and the unction of the Holy Spirit that he's already given you, Okay? If you're born again, you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. And if you're born again and have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you, you have everything you need to pray. You have everything you need to have a passionate, personal prayer life. And I'll say this, prayer is not meant to just be at your home in your own closet either. Prayer is meant to be done together. Matter of fact, nearly every example that Paul gives about prayer is corporate prayer. Nearly every one of them. Nearly every example in the book of Acts about prayer is corporate prayer. Not one New Testament book outside of Philemon was written to an individual. And people go, oh, what about 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus? Yep, they were written to pastors about the church, and they were supposed to read the letters to the church. 
So this is still corporate. Still an understanding of when I get born again, it's not just me and Jesus in the closet. It's me, Jesus in the closet, and me and my brothers and sisters in Christ, whom I fellowship with, whom I spend time with, who I'm dedicated to the work of the Lord with. Amen? So as we begin to, to this morning, I want to read a few prayers that I have been praying over this church and Kyle has been praying over this church. So turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, or excuse me, 3, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3. This prayer is a prayer that I have been praying for our church for over a year. And now we're going to start the application process, amen? Because this prayer in the very next chapter is met with application. And as a matter of fact, the prayer that we're going to read in Colossians is met with application too. So we're going to know that God doesn't just want us to pray about things. He wants us to apply things. Amen? We don't just read the Bible. We do what it says. Amen? Uh, we're in chapter thir- 3 of Ephesians, verse 14, where we're going to start. Doesn't James tell us that we need to be doers of the word and not just hearers only? Yeah. Amen? Simply knowing the Bible doesn't make you sanctified. It, does, it, it might get your mind going in the right direction, but you have to apply what is taught for the sanctification process in your life physically to be worked out. Now, we know God has sanctified us and set us apart as holy and born again. Now that has to be applied to our physical lives where we walk around every day being conformed more and more to the image of Christ. So how does that work out? Let's read Ephesians, the prayer that he prays in Ephesians for the church in Ephesus. He says... For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love might be able to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height? And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God, knowing uh, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power which worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now, this prayer that he prays for the Ephesians is really important because he's starting out at the base level. He's he's telling them that I'm praying that God would grant you by his glory that you would be strengthened in your inner man. Beloved, without a constant relationship with Christ through prayer and his word and reading his word and applying his word, hearing the word of God taught, this strengthening doesn't happen. 
Because he says, by his might, and we think of this in a really superficial, pseudo-spiritual way. But if you turn, if you keep reading in chapter 4, okay, if you just keep reading where we left off, you'll understand that this prayer is met in application of the word being taught and fellowshipping believers coming together. Then they are built up and strengthened into a perfect man. Okay, let's read. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness and with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. That means putting up with your hard-headed pastor. Okay? <clears throat> forbearing in love. Look, you, you may not like me, but you need to love me. Okay? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. There is one body, one spirit, even as, there, as ye are called to one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? And he that descended is the same that ascended up from above all heavens that he might fill all things and he gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists and some pastors and teachers now mark this in your bible for when he gives you the word for he's telling you the reason that he gave you apostles prophets pastors and teachers right watch this he gave you these for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. Now, that word edifying means built up, the building up of the body. People want to grow and people want to mature in Christ, but they don't want to be part of the body. Okay, scripturally speaking, you are never going to grow past your closet relationship with Christ until you're part of the body. Because each part, I'm going to keep reading it before I get myself into the other parts of the scripture for the perfecting of the saints for the working of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, the head of what? The head of the body of Christ, the church. Even Christ, from whom the whole body fit together and compacted by which every joint supplieth according to, to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto edifying of itself in love. Wow. Now, if you're reading the ESV, it's going to say something like this. It's going to say, for the building up of the body, to the edifying of the body. Amen? As each part does its work. You see, churches, an organism, 
of people who love God and have submitted to God and are ready to serve God. Amen? And for you to grow and for you to grow and for me to grow, we need each other to grow. We're not growing to the full stature, the, measure, the full measure of Christ outside of the body of Christ. That is not what we see being told here. And we're told that the gifts that were given were to build up the church, right? What does the pastor do? Teach. Equip, right? When we go look up what elders do, they're to equip the saints. They rebuke false doctrine. They help you in times of need. They pray for the sick. Amen? It's all the things that pastors are supposed to be doing. Now, we also have duties that other Christians are supposed to be doing, praying one for another, lifting, the other, lifting one another up in prayer. Uh, we're going to read here in just a moment in Colossians where we uh, sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs one to another to edify one another. Yet when I pastor churches with people who go, uh, who I see maybe twice a, a year, and they go, I just don't know why I'm growing, I don't know why I'm uh, I'm going through all these different trials and struggles, and I don't know why I can't handle it. Well, it's because you ain't growing, dear. I love you, but you're not growing. You're stuck right where you are. You're the little plant that got planted in a pot, and it never gets water. It's, it gets water just every once in a while, and it'll grow just enough to sustain itself to the next time it gets watered. You're not being watered constantly. You're not being tended to. And then you wonder why you don't grow. Why sanctification hasn't taken root. It's because we have to put into application the things that we read. I said this before and I'm going to say it again. You're never going to have to learn to be patient if you're never around people. You want to learn to be patient? Be around people. You want to learn how to love like God loves? Be around people. You want to learn how to overcome hatred and anxiety? Be around people. You want to learn how to be a people person? Be around people. It was amazing to me when we first started this church. We had a, a couple that were part of the uh, uh, board, and they left. We're gone for like three weeks, and I was like, where did they go? So I called them. I'm like, where are you at, and why aren't you coming? Well, I, I just don't think your wife likes me. Now, my wife doesn't talk like I do, okay? She's not a pastor. She's not a preacher. She's not a talker. She's, she's not. So if you want to have a conversation with my wife, you have to go and start the conversation, or she's not going to have one with you. That's just the way it is. And I told these people that, oh, I just, I, I'm just really afraid of her, okay? My wife's like 5'1", next to nothing, right? This, this lady's like 6'1". What are you worried about my wife for? Oh, she just, I, and, and then she started saying, well, I don't feel like you guys love us or care about us. I mean, we never see you. And I said, do you think it probably feels like you never see us because you stopped coming to church? Because if you came to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, you'd probably feel like you see us a lot. You'd probably be tired of seeing me. I get that. You see how we can turn these things into, oh, I just don't feel like that's the place for me. Uh, I, I challenge you. Most of the time, it's not the places that you want to be that God wants you at. 
Most of the time, it's the places you don't want to go that God wants you to be there. Okay? That undenied Jonah, go there to Nineveh and tell them this. Nope, I'm not going. Huh? Paul, I really, really want to go over here to this country. And God prevented him. Why? Because God wanted him right where he had him. It's really, really skeptical when people go, well, it just feels right. Okay? If you're going by your feelings walking in your Christian life, I feel sorry for you. Because you, the way you feel changes with what you eat or how you wake up in the morning. Or if you stub your toe. Or if your grandkids are screaming their face off and, and you can't get a word into somebody on the phone and then all of a sudden you're aggravated, right? Your feelings change like the wind. My walk with Christ should be based on this. And if it is, I'm going to grow and be edified and built up. How? Because I'm going to do the things that this book says to do. Name one. Okay, forsake not the gathering together of yourselves as a custom of some. You want to read that verse with me? I'm going to read that verse in context with you, and I'm going to show you that this verse is even talking about something beyond what you think it is talking about. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. This ain't even on my notes. This is all free, okay? You can have it, take it, take it or leave it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and unto good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, I want to note three things that we see in this chapter before we even get to this verse that says not to forsake the gathering together of ourselves. First is the language that says our, us. It doesn't say me. Let me not forsake my faith. It doesn't say let us hold fast to the profession of. It doesn't say let me hold fast the profession of my faith. This is not individual language. This is corporate language. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. Amen. So the first thing I want you to notice as this, this is talking about us. Amen. This is not individualized where we want it to be. This is us. So when we talk about this, this letter to the Hebrews is talking to a church, a gathered body of believers. Amen. Now, secondly, let us consider one another to provoke to love and to good works. Now, the verse before that says, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith, not wavering. Now, I could, I'm going to lump not wavering and considering one another and provoking one another unto love and to good works. I'm lumping that together for this purpose. 
If you're not coming together, you're not going to be steadfast in your faith. You're not going to hold fast to the profession of your faith without wavering. That's why many people, when they leave the church, when they leave a church and they stop going to another church, they just start living like the world. They're not holding fast to the profession of their faith. They stop doing all the things that they know are good for their spiritual life, like praying, reading their Bible, spending time in fellowship with other people, singing, worshiping God, talking to others about Christ. They don't do these things. All of these things are what Paul calls holding fast to our profession of faith. If you profess to be a Christian, then you will talk like a Christian. If you profess to be a Christian, then you will walk and behave as a Christian. If you believe yourself to be born again, then you're going to go want other people to be born again. And then this is, this is the Christian lifestyle. But you, if you're not reading, praying, seeking God, believing with other people, praying with other people, going to church, uh, partaking of all the different means of grace that God has for us, you're not going to hold fast to the profession of your faith, and you certainly will not consider one another. I submit to you this, that forsaking the assembling together of ourselves, as is the custom of some, is absolutely not considering one another to provoke one another to love and to good works. I, can't, uh, I cannot provoke you unto love and good works if I never see you. And neither can you provoke me to love and good works if you never see me. This is absolutely what this verse is talking about because he says at verse 25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Amen? Now, we're going to move past this because I don't want to belabor this point that far. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to talk about this prayer that Paul prays for the church at Colossae. Chapter 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us to be partakers of the inheritance of light. Now, the saints in light, excuse me. This prayer is focused on several things. Spiritual understanding, knowledge, wisdom, amen. We know that all of these come from God, but we also know that they come from God's word. Are we reminded of first, uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 15? He says, you know, uh, from a young age, you've had the holy scriptures, which are, make, which are able to make you wise unto salvation that is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said that Moses and the prophets spoke of him. Amen. The realities that this prayer is also based in an application 
is very evident when you get to Colossians 3. And if you read Colossians 3 and commentaries on Colossians 3, nearly every single commentary will take verse 1 and 2 and apply it to the prayer that Paul prays at the beginning of this letter, the one we just read. Every one of them, almost without fail, they mention this. Why? Because Paul's praying for this, and now he's giving a concrete example of what it looks like. Amen? Now watch this. We're going to read Colossians 3, which was the, the base for last Wednesday's sermon, for the Sunday night before that sermon. And it's the basis for what we're talking about today in a general sense of understanding that my mind has to be changed. Paul says, put on the mind of Christ. What does he mean by put on the mind of Christ if that was just going to happen by osmosis? Like God's just going to wave a magic wand and you're just going to have all of a sudden one morning you're going to wake up and you're just going to have a mind of Christ. You're going to stop thinking ignorant. You're going to stop talking ignorant. You're just gonna... No. No, it doesn't work that way. You read the Bible. You start to understand what God expects of you. And then you must do those things. That's this work. Okay? Now watch this. He says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. Now, I, I would point out a logical fallacy here. If God was just going to make you seek those things which are above, Paul wouldn't have to tell us to seek after them. If God was just going to do it for you, then there's no point to his command that you seek after them. Amen? The reality is there's an express understanding of something that's required of you. Amen. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things that are above and not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear unto him. And then he says another command. First he tells us to seek, and now he tells us another command. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Mortify, kill, destroy. That's what that word means. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil conspicuencies, covetousness, which is idolatry, from which and for which sake the wrath of God uh, cometh on the children of disobedience, in which ye also walked in some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeking or seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him who created him. Wow. And then we get to that great verse. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, right? Male or female, right? The understanding here is there's still an expectation. I'm to seek. And I'm to mortify. That's sanctification, people. Does God empower us to be 
to, to this end? Absolutely. No one will ever walk out the walk of sanctification without God's help. It will be impossible. Amen? Amen. Jesus said this, without me, ye can do nothing. So without God's help, we will not walk out sanctification. But without following the means by which God has chosen to sanctify us, namely the Holy Spirit, his word, uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ, this all goes back to how do I set my mind on things that are above? How do I set my mind on becoming a mature Christian who is walking out a walk of sanctification? By putting into practice what the scriptures teach us. Jesus prayed for us, like I said, in John 17, 7. He says that the earth, 17, 17, excuse me, that the word of God brings us maturity. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. Amen? God's word is what will help sanctify us. I preached uh, back in, oh goodness, September. See, there's a reason why I write things in notebooks. I couldn't look this up if I didn't have it in a notebook. Back in September, I preached a message called This is Necessary. I talked about why church membership is necessary. I talked about why baptism, the Lord's Supper, prayer, praying with one another, worship, Christian discipline, giving, uh, spiritual gifts, fellowship, evangelism, personal ministry to other individuals. All of this is necessary and means of grace by which God helps us grow. All of us want Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 52. We all want that one. Matter of fact, let's just turn to Acts 2, and I'm going to read this, okay? And it's 47. I had more, had more verses into my mind than I thought it was. But it, we all want verse 47. We want the end of verse 47 where he says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. Right? We all want that verse. We all think, you know, Acts 2.47, that's it right there. That's what we need. God adding to the number every day, right? And, and we get people preaching a false premise about this doctrine saying, Oh, God's going to add to the church. Yes, but this isn't God waving a magic wand adding to the church either. Notice what they're doing before God adds to the number. Starting at verse uh, 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or their teaching. And in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They were doing these continually, steadfastly. And, the, and fear came upon every soul. Is there fear upon your soul about God being in charge of your life? Do you understand that the fear that came upon their soul was that now they understood that they were blood-bought, born-again Christians who now are now translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son? They have been bought with a price. Their bodies are no longer their own. And the fear of the Lord was upon them because they knew they were now living for him. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and their goods and parted them out as every man had need, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple 
and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and gentleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. If you're not willing to do everything from verse 41 to the beginning of verse 47, you are not going to get the blessing of 47b. You're not going to have the Lord adding to the number daily if you're not submitted to the apostles' teaching, if you're not committed to prayer, if you're not committed to fellowship, if you're not committed to, to breaking bread, if you're not committed to believing together or having all things in common, if you're not committed to daily uh, uh, communion with other believers and being breaking bread with other believers on a regular basis, and having your meat and eating it with gladness and gentleness of heart. If you're not praising God and having favor. You're not getting the rest of it. You're not getting God adding to the number. Why do we think God keeps subtracting? Because he's wanting us to get back to an example. That he's laid out in his word. Where Christians are actually committed to living their life for Christ. Why would God bless us? In what way has the church in modern-day America deserved verse 47? And I'm asking this very uh, 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 compassionately. Have we really sought God more than the generations before us? I can tell you right now that when I was a child, when I was 14 years old and gave my heart to the Lord, even in that Baptist church just north of town, there was 115 people, 120 people every Sunday seeking God. When they called a prayer meeting, you'd get more than half of the church showing up for prayer meeting. When they, when they did street ministry, most of the church showed up for street ministry. Nowadays, people, oh, we're serving God, we're living for God, but they're not doing any of the things that the Bible lays out that shows that you're living for God. Amen. Oh, I love Jesus and he's the Lord of my life. Well, when do you talk to him? Never. I don't pray. What are you talking about praying? I don't have time to pray. I have a hard time believing that you have a relationship with Christ and you don't ever talk to him. Just try that with your wife for one minute. Hey, just go a month. Now, that sounds like music to Becca's ears, but I don't want to. <laughs> Just go a month without actually having a relationship with your wife, without talking to her, without spending time with her. Woo! We can't do that to our wife, but we do it to the God of heaven. We can't, we can't ignore our wife for one day, but we, we ignore God for weeks and months until tragedy strikes, until, until a storm shows up, and then we're, oh, God, I love you. We've got to seek God all the time. It's got to be a way of life. It's got to be something that's actually real. Amen? Jesus didn't come down here to save people that wouldn't serve him. Jesus didn't come down here to save people that never wanted to spend time with him. I think what we realize in modern church 
is this. We have a lot of people that if Christ came right now would be of the group that cried out, Lord, Lord. And Jesus said, I never knew you. What does this know? What does he mean by I never knew you? Do you understand that when Adam, God gave Eve to Adam, it says that Adam knew Eve. Means Adam was intimate with Eve. When Jesus says, I never knew you, what he's telling you is I was never intimate with you. Me and you never really had a relationship. You weren't my sheep. You see, I have a hard time believing that someone who has been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son would live a life totally unconvicted of seeking after God. At some point, a truly born-again person is going to look at their life and go, you know what, I need to do more. I need, to, I need to be more committed to this or that. If those thoughts are in your mind, then praise the Lord. God is working on your heart that you would go and seek after him. But if they're not, I would submit to you that you need to submit to Christ. You need to come and be born again. You need to hear the gospel and believe. Because Jesus didn't come to give you your best life right now. He came to give you eternal life. That's why we're to, to, to set our affections on things above. Why? Because we're not, what's that old song? I'm not at home in this world anymore. Why? Why am I not at home in this world anymore? Because this world ain't my home. Because Jesus went to prepare a place for me that where he is, there I might be also. How do I get there? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do I live my life for Christ? By faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. When people throw up, well, that's sanctification, Pastor, and everybody's at a different spot in, th in sanctification. That's true, okay? But there's a difference at being in a different spot in sanctification and not seeking sanctification at all. There's a huge difference between the two. And I think what we have done is we have uh, quietly let not seeking sanctification at all become my walk of sanctification. Well, I'm just like this. God must want me this way. Sorry, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says his will is your sanctification. So if your sanctification is not taking place at some level, and there's no desire in you to be sanctified, I ask you this, I ask you this morning, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and really be born again. Amen? Now, what does this have to do with the vision that we're casting for the future? Okay, and I'm going to close with this statement. The vision that I have for this coming year, and my prayer is the same prayers that we just read, that God's people in this church will be strengthened in their inner man to live their life for Christ.
that, that they would understand the importance of prayer, both privately and corporately. That they would understand the, their need to read their Bible on their own and their need to come and hear the Bible preached. This is a means of grace that God wants us to grow by. And if we don't receive it, if we're not sitting under it, we will not grow. That the people in this church would be hungry for fellowship one with another. Knowing that that fellowship is what's going to help my walk with Christ. Not only that, we will never effectively reach a community by ourselves. It must be done together. Notice it says they were together. They had all things in common. They were together in one mind, one accord. Isn't that what the beginning of Acts 2 says? When they were in one mind and one accord and then the Holy Spirit came, right? We want all these moves of the Holy Spirit and our churches are falling apart. Not in unity. Not loving each other. Not seeking God for each other. Not trying to work in the community. Yet we want God to pour out miracles, signs, and wonders. I'm praying that this church begins to mature to the point where we understand that the only way the church has ever grown is by sheep begetting sheep. By you going to talk to your cousin or your brother or your neighbor or the lady in the grocery store that is just uh, having a hard time with her kids and you, you come over there and say, hey, can I pray with you for a minute? It's anything where we're really going out and reaching the community. Amen? Looking for opportunities to share my faith. Do you understand that sharing your faith is a grace and a means of grace that God has given you to help you grow. Oh, Pastor, I don't know how to share my faith. Well, there's only one way to start, and that's to start. If all you can do is start talking to people about God is good, then start right there. And then eventually you'll, they'll say, well, why is God good? And then you can tell them why God is good. Amen. Well, God's good because we're all sinners. And he sent his son to be our savior. And he died on the cross and paid the price for my sin and your sin. Easy. I'm praying that God would put that boldness in you. Close with this thought. Paul, in Ephesians, at the end of Ephesians, when he tells us to put on the whole armor of God and to pray always with all kinds of prayers and supplications, making our requests known unto God, praying always. I want you to notice how Paul ends. He says, and pray for me that I might be given boldness to preach the gospel as I should. Beloved, if you think Paul if you think Paul walked around just as bold as he could be all the time without any of God's help, you're out of your mind. Paul, the great apostle who planted so many churches, still writes the church in Ephesus and says, hey, pray for me that I would speak with boldness the gospel. So I'm adding to my prayer for our church that God would give us that kind of boldness to talk about Christ in the marketplace. To talk about Christ at football games and, 
and, and, and in, our, in our PTA meetings and in our board meetings and all these other places where, where they've tried to drive Christ out of. The only way you're going to win those people is to meet them where they are with the gospel, with the love of God, with the compassion of Christ. Amen? I say this in all love. This is not a need just for this church, but it is a need for quite a few, if not every church that we have. In this town, everybody that names the name of Christ, we need to stand up. But that kind of magic wand Christianity doesn't exist. The only way it's going to happen is if you take that first step and say, you know what, I'm going to pray every morning. You know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find somebody every day that I can tell about Jesus. Or you know what, I'm going to find every day uh, a way to, to help my local church out. How about that? I mean, when did it become so irrelevant, irresponsible that people would come to a church and not even support the church? Not even, not even share the things that the church are wanting to do. To cast a vision to the community of what this church is all about. Amen? Do we love people or don't we love people? Is that sign true that we love God and we love people? If it is, then we need to go out there and show them. We need to go out there and tell them. Amen? We can't sit behind these walls and expect God to do all the work. That isn't what it's like. That's not reality. That's not what we see in the scripture. He didn't say, hey, go get a building and sit there and wait for them. He said, go ye into all the world. Field doesn't plow itself. That's right. You got to have the horse and you got to have the man willing to be on the plow. Amen. Or woman. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Before we do, I want to I want to tell you that we're going to start a we're going to start having prayer before church. Okay? People in leadership, we need to be praying. We need to be praying for our church. We need to be praying for people coming to this church. We need to be modeling a life of prayer. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, we praise you for your work. We praise you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this message today, God. As much as it challenges us, as much as it... Uh, um, maybe even step on our toes in a few places, God. I pray, God, this same prayer that Paul prayed for these Ephesians. Lord, I pray the same prayer that Paul prays for these Colossians, God. Lord, that you would build this church into the image of your dear son. That you would help each part, God, to do its work, to be fitted together, jointed together, God for the edification of the body so that we might all grow up into a mature man and woman of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give us all boldness, give us all wisdom, give us all understanding, God, to go out into this world and to be salt and to, to be light, that we might do, that we might do everything, Lord, that is expected of those who name the name of Christ. That we would bear the fruit of the Spirit, God. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. 
uh, long-suffering faithfulness. God, help us. Help us today. Lord, I pray that as you, as we leave this place, God, that you help each and every individual, God, know that this sermon was given in love with great compassion from my heart, God, because I want what's best for this church. I want this church, God, to be about the Father's business. Lord, and I pray right now, even over the section of the building that we don't get to use right now, God, that you would send the people that we need, that you would give us wisdom and understanding to find the people that we need to get this soup kitchen going, to get this uh, temporary homeless shelter going, God, so that we might be the hands and feet of your son to those who are lost and hurting and broken, that we might visit the sick and the, the, the imprisoned, that we might minister to the widow and the orphan, that we might minister to the, the, the deprived, the hungry and the thirsty and the lost from this place. Lord, we are committed to the vision that you've given us. We're committed to being here and we're committed to doing more. Help us, strengthen us, encourage us, and uplift us as we go. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.